words from the hills, reconfigure your life, change your heart, and prepare you for all that God has destined you to be. Welcome to the Hills Church. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's it's been a very um, it's been a bit of a funny week or like maybe probably ten days. So in ten days, one of my best friends lost her brother at 36. He slumped and died at the gym. Well, he got went into a coma and he died about a few days later. And um, she was saying to me that um, her parents, her parents are mission, um, moved to the States um, as missionaries, so they've served God their whole lives. So they're the family that when you come into the, the, to the States or to the city where they live, they will tell you, go and meet them, go and introduce yourself to them, even if you don't end up in that church. You know, those people that become everybody's daddy and mommies, that's what they've been. So when they told, when they told um, their mom that, her son had slumped and he had a heart attack and he was in the hospital. She said to everybody, oh, don't worry, don't worry. My son cannot die. I've sacrificed for so many people's children. My son cannot die. God would not do this. And about three days later, he was dead at 36. And then while I'm still like, oh my God, how do you even cope with that? Fast forward to Friday, my husband's cousin dies at 45. You know, this is a girl who's never smoked drank, partied in her life. She became a Christian as a teenager. Pastor Mo even knows her because she grew up in Joss. She, you know, became a teenager in her, um, born again in her teenage years and then got married early. So basically she didn't have time to party or live that kind of life. So she has lived the life in God, like, you know, crazy about God. Everything about her wholesome and pure. And then in September, they find out that she had stage four lung cancer. That doesn't even make sense. And by, by Friday, which is May, she's dead, you know, leaving a husband and three children completely devastated. And so the enemy is always on a rampage. He never stops. And while you think that, okay, why was she trying to process that? My niece is in ICU in London at the moment, intubated because she's not able to breathe and her entire organs are packing up, like within a matter of days. And then it just, it just gets me to that place where I'm like, you know, what's going on? What is God saying? What is the posture that we as believers are supposed to have in a situation like this? So while our hearts are broken, right, we're still on assignment to God. We're still, it's, the enemy's plan is always to distract. That's all he knows how to do. Kill, steal, and destroy. He doesn't know more than that. So everything that happens in our life, everything that is not in alignment to God's will, every, because God does not bring disease, he doesn't. So disease is not in align, alignment to his will. Anything that causes us pain and distraction and confusion and misery doesn't come from God. And the enemy's plan is that he will derail you. He will derail you, no matter who you are, no matter your size, color, where you're from. Life will throw you challenges. And so what do you do? And so that's, it's, it leads me to what we want to talk about today, what God had told me to share about on Monday. And little did I know that after the Monday, there were going to be two major things happening. And he said to share about identity. And what he said was that many of us are not able to attain anything in God. Now, I didn't say anything in the world. We're not able to attain anything in God because we don't understand who we are. We don't know who we are. The how can we even begin to talk about purpose? What does purpose even mean when you don't even know who you are? And so he started to take me on a journey. He was like asking me, who are you? You know, who do people say you are? What do you represent? When you come to a place, do they know that you represent the kingdom of light? Do they know they represent the kingdom of, that, of, of, of justice, love and peace? Or are you of the world? 
what do they see? Do they see um, just a mother? Do they see just um, an executive? Do they see somebody that is a soldier in the army of God? And so he said, he then took me to, he took me to the story of the prodigal son. And I thought, okay, let's see. So Luke 15, Luke from Luke 15, I think it starts from 11. Luke 15, 11, the story of the prodigal son. I mean, everyone knows the story. But he wasn't telling me about the prodigal son. He now said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I would arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose, came to his father, and when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe, put it on him, bring a ring on his, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and he began to be merry. Now this is where the story starts. Now his elder son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. And he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandments at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as the son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. So go back to 31. Go back to 31. He said, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. You know, the prodigal son knew exactly who he was. He knew exactly who he was. That's what gave him the audacity to go to his father and say, divide it. It belongs to me. Give me my own. I want to go and make merry. His only crime was foolishness and juvenile behavior and instant gratification. But that boy knew who he was. 
that's what gave him the audacity to go to his father and say, divide it and give me my own. And even when he went and wandered off and things became difficult for him, he said, even the servants in my father's house will feed well. Then let alone me. I, I will even go and take a place of a servant. It's fine. I don't mind. It was that knowledge again, the identity of who he was that made him return back to his father. And so every time we look at the prodigal son as the recalcitrant child, as the one, but you know that that boy at home, for me, is the real person in this story. The person who did not understand his identity. The person who was with his father. The faithful one, the faithful son who stayed who toiled with his father, who dug the ground with his father, who prayed with his father, who journeyed with his father, who had communion every day with his father, had no clue who he was. For if he did, he would have known that all his brother was taking was just small from the bountiful harvest that belonged to him as the faithful son. Do you know many of us have served for so many years we have served since we were teenagers. We gave our lives as teenagers. We have served. We have prayed. We have cried. We have fasted. We have carried chair. We have cleaned toilet. We have done all of that. And yet, nothing, nothing shifts in our life. Do you know that that's a calamity as far as I'm concerned? That a, that a person who is sold out to God, committed with his life, his or her life, because many of us do not understand our identity. We still come into the place of God like beggars. We, we look at our identity as the outward manifestation of goods. The car, the size of our homes, the quality of our lifestyle, where we travel to. But that's not who we are. Those are just mere trappings. Those are just mere things that one fire, your whole house is gone. Everything is gone. So what happens to you? The fact that I have blonde hair does not make me Oibo. <laughs> Do you understand where I'm coming from? Does not make me Oibo. Right? So it's not about my hair or what I'm wearing. It's not about where I work. It's not about how much money I have or don't have. But it's about what I carry inside of me. The DNA of God. Because I was made in his what? Image. And in his likeness. There's one thing God said to me a few years ago. He said, I just want you, don't ever go away from that place. I don't care what you're talking about. You always talk, make sure you always talk about the image and the likeness of God. He says, anything, find a way, the image and the likeness of God. Because when you understand that you were made like God, my goodness, nobody can tell you that you're ugly. When you understand that you have the mind of God, you will stare a lion in his face and you will say, sit, and he will sit. When somebody comes with an alternative testimony, alternative word about your life, you will stand and say, not me. Not me, because you know exactly who you are. And so that boy was lost. That is the real lost son, not the prodigal son. The prodigal son knew exactly who he was. He even knew what he would come back to his father and say, and his father's heart will melt. He practiced it before he went there. He said, I will tell my father, forgive me, I have sinned against you. He went and did exactly that, and his father's heart melted. 
And there was the one who everything belonged to. He sat there confused. Now the world tries to give us tries to force us into its own standards of identity it would class us into age bands so if you're a particular age band you cannot do a particular thing i remember someone trying to recruit for chief executive officer position and they asked me how old i was i think i was about 35 at the time and she says oh no 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 you i can't put you forward and i said why at the time, I had run, I was a country manager of a company. I'd, I'd worked as a manager for about seven years at the time, right? Um, chasing multi-million dollar businesses, closing it out, facing CEOs, regulators everywhere, bold and confident. I said, I don't understand why. And it wasn't even, it wasn't even a bigger company that where I was working. She said, oh, because they said you have to be above 40. And I was like, why? What do, why? I don't understand. What does that have to do with what I carry inside of me? What does that have to do with my skills and competencies? I say, no, I too don't work in a place like that. Is that shallow-minded? The world wants to force you into where you're from. You meet someone and they're asking you where you're from. What about I'm from the kingdom of God? What about I'm from the kingdom of God? What does it matter where my tribe is from? If I'm, let's say if I'm Igbo and I grew up in Kaduna and I don't know how to speak Igbo. What does, what does my being Igbo mean? But I know how to speak Alsa. I understand Alsa culture. Do you understand? What does my being Igbo mean? Because my parents are Igbo. I don't know if you understand where I'm coming from. So the world tries to force us into identity boxes to make sense of who we are. Not for our own purpose. To limit us in what we can do. So if I wanted to run for Senate in Lagos State or House of Rep, they would say, you're not Yoruba. Do you understand? The world will tell you what's your social status, what's your income brackets. I used to work in a place where we had to work with demographics. We had to ask people, what's your age? Are you male, female, or all the new genders we have now? Well, then, at that time, no. We didn't used to do that, thank God. You know, they will ask you, what's your social status? So you by yourself, you will class yourself, whether you are A, B, C, D, based on how much money that you earn. Then they would use that to stereotype you, use that to profile you and decisions around things that impact you. The world will ask you, are you black, white? What does it matter? It's the same blood that runs in the veins of each and every one of us. I've worked with expatriates. The same problems you have is the same they have, I have, is the same problems that they have. Same problem. If their child is giving wala, it is the same kind of wala. If they are hungry, is there a different kind of hunger? Hunger is hunger. Do you understand where I'm coming from? If the rain falls, it falls on all of us. If the sun shines, it shines on all of us. There's no difference between us and them. But the world will, will try to force you into those identities. And then guess what? Even that is not enough. As it, as it even boxed you in, it's not enough. It then wants you to... So we now end up a bunch of confused people. Confuse people. <coughs> Confuse people. Because we are trying to conform to the standards of the world. We are trying to conform to these identity boxes. Meanwhile, as a believer, we have only one identity. And that is God. One identity and that is in God. I remember one day, a friend of mine got into an argument with somebody else. 
And the person was saying, oh, I did something. It was a very silly thing. It wasn't anything big. And um, she was defending me. And so he said to her, oh, but I think I know her better than you know her. And she says, no, you don't. And he was looking at her like, how? I don't understand. She's more of my friend than she's your friend. She said, but the difference is that me and her have the same faith. We, we worship the same God. So I know her spiritually. You know her in the flesh. I know her spiritually. So I know her more than you know her. And I was like, now you're talking. So when I look at you, precious, I don't want to know where you're from. It doesn't do anything for me. But I want to know the God that you carry. I want to know that even in a day of trouble, if I pick up my phone and call Precious, that she'll raise up a song, she'll raise up a voice with me. We will not be arguing about theology. We will not be arguing about whether a woman is supposed to preach or not. We're not going to be arguing about whether you're supposed to speak in tongues or not. We are going to raise up our voices and until we see a change in that situation. So the enemy's plan is to bring division by pushing all of us into different identity boxes that serve no purpose. In one place, you're one person. In another place, you're one person. There are people that don't even know that you're a Christian. Let alone serve that you are a minister. Let alone that you are a pastor. Let alone that you can give a prophetic word and it will come to pass. No, because you want to be accepted on the table that the world has set before you. Meanwhile, the world doesn't even want you on that table. They don't want you. No matter what you do to get on that table, you will always feel like an outsider. Who has ever felt that way? Who has ever been with a group of people that look like you, sound like you? You guys seem to have the same vibe, work in similar places, but you always feel out of place. Is it just me? Because you're not of this world. You are called to God's kingdom. You are a soldier on assignment. There is something that God requires you to do. And so the enemy's plan is that it will confuse your identity. So you will start to define yourself. I had a time and season because I liked what I did. Every time you met me, that was the first thing and only thing you saw about me. I will talk about work for five hours. You'll be tired and bored. I would not talk about anything else. Until God took me on a journey and said, if I take all these things, what would you do? What would you do? So, is your life going to be over? Are you def And guess what? He did it. Took it all. Said, oh yeah, let's see. Come and talk about work again. Not that he necessarily called me into full-time ministry, but what it was that I thought was my, do you understand, my firm foundation that gave me context and background to speak about anything. He took it and said, let me know if you will still not speak. Let me know if anything about you will change. Let me know. He took it all. So I came to that place where I understood that those things were just tools and resources on the journey of my assignment. They were not the things I was supposed to be focusing on at all. The job, the business, the career was simply a resource place and a resource center and the second I had that understanding it just changed the way I operated I had no worries about office politics I had no worries about validation I had no worries about anyone taking glory I had no worries I would set my face like a flint and if there was injustice being done I didn't care if it was the chairman I would speak I said what's the worst that will happen is that you tell me to come and be going 
But me, in this life, I can never be hungry. Last, last, I will make my husband for money. <laughs> Do you understand? But even if I didn't have him, uh -uh, even if I didn't have him, I cannot. I cannot as long as it's for the kingdom. So it, I didn't care. So guess what? If you meet people that work with me, they might not have warm feels fuzzy about me. But ask them, why? Why? Then they will tell, and if they dare to tell you the truth, they will say it's because I stood against an injustice that they were trying to perpetuate. Where someone will say, oh, because this person is a, a what's it called, a junior staff, you can make do with them. And I'll ask you, what did they do? What did they do? Show me what did they do. It doesn't matter whether I like the person or not. Show me what they, do, they did because I must represent the kingdom of justice and light. I must because that's the kingdom of God. I must. So I don't care. Like, I don't care. And there's nothing as dangerous as someone that does not care. Hey, nothing. What can you do is to sack me. And before you even sack me, I will quit. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not afraid to quit. Like, if you know how many jobs I'll quit from it. Hey, God. If you know, you will hire me. <laughs> you won't. <laughs> because I had this one. She's not going to stay. <laughs> but the reason why I'm like that is because I don't care. I just want to do God's work. And if I'm in a place that will not allow me to do it, then I don't want it. Because what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and suffers the loss of his soul? When I stand at judgment seat, do you think God cares where I worked? You think he cares how much money I had in my bank account? But will he look at me and say, why were you there and under your watch, that man committed suicide? You were too busy, so I couldn't tell you to go and pray. You were too busy chasing after the world, and yet the world still eluded you. Last, last. So you miss out on earth. You miss out on the kingdom. Many of the things that we are chasing, eh? Like this. Like this. I have never gotten anything from my striving. Never. Never gotten anything. Never gotten anything from my striving. It has just simply come from a place of obedience, assignment, and then suddenly, the chessboard will just start moving around. Like that. Like that. Like that. Like that. I've been... I don't know how to describe this thing. I've never... When someone tells me, ah, let's be strategic. I stopped using that word many years ago. Strategy. I see all the strategy that I did before. Where did it land me? No, where? Where did it land me? And so identity comes to take, take away who we are really in God and replace it with fear. Because now you are confused. Gideon in Judges. Gideon said, the angel came and said to him, Almighty oh, man of valor, Judges 6. Gideon said, huh? Me? He said, first of all, eh, my tribe is the least of the least. I'll be the most disadvantaged. Then even inside the tribe, me <laughs> and my family, we are the bottom, bottom. You say that who, I am who. But that's what God does. Because when he wants to send you an assignment, he will change your identity so that you understand what you carry. And he needed to do that because you can then see that he did not give Gideon a hundred thousand army. The same man who was fearful that even said to him, show me that is you, prove to me. He then carried only 300 men and gave him. <laughs> you know, if you give 300 men to David, eh, 
have a feeling that David will not be worried. Sure, you know. Because David was, hey, where is it happening? Let's just go. That, <laughs> that was David for you. But Gideon was already a fearful man. They now carry th- 300 only and give to him. Like, what is he supposed to do with 300 men? <laughs> really? Against the Midianites. But God was going somewhere because he wanted us to understand that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That he is the master of kids. And when he sends you on an assignment, he has a plan. And so all they had to do was to raise their trumpet and that army was defeated. So that's what God does with us. When, we are str- when he needs to send us on an assignment, he will restore our identity to remember that we were made in his image and in his likeness. Therefore, we carry the power and the authority of God in us. And therefore, we can do great and mighty things. We can do great and mighty expo- exploits. It says that, most assuredly I say to you, that he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do. And greater works than, di- than this, he will do because I go to my father and whatever you ask in my name that I will do, that the father may be glorified in the son. So if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So that means that God is saying that me and you can do more than he did. And remember what he did. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cast out demons. He he basically eradicated poverty. He he fed many. He did many things. He went on the cross. He died on the cross. He took the sacrifice. He demonstrated love. And he's saying that in his name, we can do more than he did. So why do we then have helpless Christians who are unable to attain anything in God and even anything in the world. Both ways, we lose out. Why? Because we don't understand who we are and what we carry. Because if we did, we operate differently. My son comes. When he started walking, he would go to the kitchen and open the fridge. He would take something and run out. They would chase him from the kitchen and collect it back from him. Standard. He can do that five times in a day. But then, I think one day, he understood that even though he had the right, hmm, because it's his parents' house, to take this thing, he didn't have the, maybe, authority to take it. So guess what he does now that he's older? He comes, mommy, 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 mommy. He holds my hand. He takes me into that kitchen with a bounce, <laughs> opens the fridge, points to that same thing that he would normally have taken a run of before because he knows that with me there, They cannot tell him no. (laughs) With me there, they can't tell him no. So why would a one-year-old child who used to go to the kitchen and attempt to take it before, they say if you do the same thing and you're getting the same results and you continue to do the same thing, there's a problem with you, all right? Uh So he knew that I had to change his plan. So he carried the person who had the authority because he knows that I will not say no to him. He would take me, go there, open the fridge, stand and point. Something that he used to take by himself before. And so they'll say, ah, but ma, he has had two before. I say, it's okay. It's okay. Let him have it. And he walks away with his bounce. And I look at him and I'm like, ah, I need to learn to be more like this boy. That's how God wants us to operate. 
We don't take God into our battles. We don't take God into our boardrooms. We don't take him into our businesses. We are looking for strategies all over the place. We are looking for coaches all over the place. Meanwhile, your coach is looking for a coach too. Yes, I'm a coach. But I have an executive coach. Your coach is looking for a coach too. So the blind leading the blind. Do you understand? You don't take... But what about... Do you know that God can show you a thing in your dream, in your sleep? Do you guys know? I had a weird... I have all these weird encounters. This one, this week. Claire, it happened exactly as I saw it in the dream. It was crazy. Exactly as I saw it in the dream. I had a meeting with somebody. In the dream, we were talking. I'd met the person before, but in the meeting, the person was very formal, as though they didn't know me. And I said, okay, that's fine. We can play this game. And we're doing that. And then somewhere along the line, the connection went off. And I was panicking because I only had a specific time slot to speak to them about something. And the connection went off and dropped the line. So I woke up panicking about not being able to finish this conversation. Guess what? On the day of the meeting, I couldn't log in. My teams, Microsoft teams, refused to open. I said, hey, the enemy has got me. I said, go shoot me this thing. Oh. I said, no. I started praying. And I was like, after I prayed, the thing opened. I said, okay. We started the meeting. They now asked me a question. My brain froze. I was like, God. When I say complete freezing, froze. And that's how we finished that meeting without me answering that question. So what it was, was what I saw in the dream was a, a disconnection. And I thought it was a physical disconnection of the device. But what it was, was a disconnection between my brain and my mouth. But there was a disconnection, right? That's how God works. That's what God does. God will show you. God will give you expo about everything that you're doing. Won't you understand that he's our father? Many of us don't relate to God as a father. Many of us look at God that punishes, God that is wicked, that is heartless, maybe because of our backgrounds, experiences that we had. And so we don't know the Father, God. God the Father. God the Father. The one who cares, you know, Scripture says that if your earthly father can give you, let alone he that made you in his image and likeness. And so identity now comes and it distorts, it starts with distorting who, what we see. I'm fat. I'm fat. I'm fat. I've dealt with it. I'm fat. Every day I'm looking at the mirror. I'm fat. <laughs> and one day I said, this is body dysmorphia. <laughs> because you can't, you're seeing, it's not, it's not a joke. It's the enemy at work. And then you spiral into depression. Because you're looking at yourself and saying, I'm fat. Many women Battle this one. This one is one that enemy uses on women. You'll be seeing yourself and saying, I look ugly. I look ugly. This hair doesn't suit me. I look fat. My, my ties are fat. You will now fixate on it. Not seeing who you are. So even when someone is admiring you, you can't receive it in love. That can't come from God. It can't be from God. The enemy will come. He will tell you. You can't do this. You can't do this job. The people that do this job, eh, go and see what they have. PhD. They've worked in big multinationals. They've been all over the world. Then you, with your university of, uh, local university of uh, Alimosho, you want to come and compete. 
But you know that God can take a man from the back, from the outwoods, and catapult him to the global stage. Do you know that? I have seen God do it. Where you sit down and marvel, the person's accent is wrong. The person's tenses are wrong. But there's just something about the person. The Lord just decided, you know what? I will elevate this one because this one was made for signs and wonders. And I know that he will not compromise. He will not compromise. I have seen it. And you, you'll be there asking, ah, how did this person get here? Be asking question. You don't know the covenant he made with God? You don't know the tears he cried? You don't know the sacrifice that he paid? You don't know the day he groaned from the inside of his belly? And say, Lord, I will serve you all the days of my life. And so when you see the person, radical and rascal, in that place, you're wondering, then you there are prima and proper, nothing. So imposter syndrome will come. Forgetting that scripture says in Philippians that I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. He did not say you can do it through your degrees and your work job experience. No. I can do all things to Christ that strengthens me. Everything that I know in the corporate world, I tell you, eh, when people ask me, I say, you know, one of those is God, though. It's not that I'm trying to be Christianese. It's truly God. Nine out of ten times, nobody taught me. Nine out of ten times. I'll just look at something and I'll just get an understanding of it because I'll say, Father, Lord, please don't disgrace me. Do you understand? You know, it's important that they see Christians that are doing well. So just use me, eh? Don't disgrace me. Boom. I'm not joking. That's my prayer with God. Yes. That's what I tell him. Because that same question that they asked me and I, I couldn't answer, the next morning, ha, I gave a robust reply. As in, even themselves would be like, ah, ah, calm down. <laughs> because that's, do you understand? And, and this was me. I, I, I struggled tonight. I was like, Lord, I don't, how come I didn't know this? How come I didn't know this? Tell me, tell me, tell me. I woke up in the morning. I still didn't know it. I just opened my laptop. So God speaks to me through my laptop. I don't joke my laptop. Oh. Hey, God. I don't take my wallet, take my card. Don't take my laptop. <laughs> God speaks to me too. As I open my laptop, my brain just opened. Boom. I'm telling you for real. My brain just opened. And I started to write. Started to write. And I sent it to them. And they called me back and said, Do you understand? That's what happens when you lean on God and not on the world. Because I first went to the world. And I asked all the friends in the industry. And guess what? None of them knew it. None of them. And I now said, hey, now, hey, if you don't know it, it's me that will come and know it. Do you understand? That was where I went. I said, ah, okay, if you, you don't know it, then me, I'm not supposed to know it. It's all right. But then, no, oh, I said, no, 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 no. The Spirit of the Lord told me, no. Go and open that laptop. And he told me. Then, because we're dealing with identity issues, depression would then seep in. Because you don't know who you are. One day you are in a place, you are, I don't know, you are indulging in the world. But something is telling you, no, that's not you. That's not you. You are out of place. That thing you're dancing, you look stupid. You don't, don't look right. Those people you are following, you cannot do what they do. You cannot enter where they enter. Come out, oh. Now, because you have, because nothing exists in a vacuum, because you now also have nothing on the other side, you're not fully in the world. You're also not fully in God. When you now also come to the place of believers, you are also out of place. You're not able to operate in what you see as the same power that others are carrying. You're not able to bring a word, a song, a prayer, faith. You're not able to stand with anybody because there is nothing 
And that's why the Bible says that he who is lukewarm, what will happen to them? Pick a side. You have to pick a side. You have to pick a side. You have to. See here, eh, if you decide to go into the world, please go and groove well. Don't lose out both ways. And please, I'm not saying to go and go into the world. But you understand what I'm trying to say. Pick a side. This half and half that we are doing is a dangerous place to be in. You will always feel out of place in both places. You'll be uncomfortable with unbelievers. But with believers, you'll be also uncomfortable because you will feel like they will suss you out, that you're not really deep. You don't carry anything. Because when they say pray, after five minutes, you're tired. When they say bring a word, you don't know what to say. You are waiting for, there's not, that time of great man of God, God of woman is gone. All God is looking for now are people that are hungry for him. And he will just give them a word and they'll go and say it. And things will move and things will change. Finish. That time it's not here again because God needs to quickly multiply what he's doing. So there are places that I can get into that Pastor Mo might not be able to get into. There are places that you can get into that Zach cannot get into. So God needs everybody working now. It's like multiplier effect. So saying that you're waiting for someone. I see people saying they left their church because there's no power there. There's no, you, did you bring power? What about you add your power to the little that the church has? And all of us had our little, little power. What will happen? A fire would erupt in this place. A fire would erupt in your home, in your church. We are going to be fed. Oh, I'm not being fed. What about you? Who are you feeding? 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. You can't lead a prayer meeting. You can't. Do you know who you are? What's the point of saying you're a Christian if you can't do those things? What is the point? It makes no sense to me. I'd rather just stop Christianity if I cannot actually arise and do something for God. Depression will set in because you're not doing either one. Because you're not living in purpose. Because you're out of sync with the world, out of sync with God. And depression is a real thing now. Every week, every week, I hear somebody who either attempted suicide or somebody around them just attempted suicide. Real. Every, I'm not joking, every week. I either hear somebody who attempted suicide or somebody around them or somebody succeeded. Why is that happening? Because people are looking at what the world is presenting as the measures of success and looking at themselves and saying, ah, why is my own this bad? Why are all my friends married and not married? How come my friends have new houses and I don't have new? How come you're looking at all of the trappings? That is not your identity. Your identity is in God. But what about you walk into a place where you walk in? The Holy Spirit enters that place. Hearts that are broken start to mend. A touch, a smile. You can't put a price tag on that. You cannot put a price tag on the impact of a life in God that you carry. You can't put the price tag on it. And God is so kind that he gives you instant feedback in your spirit that will carry you. That when the enemy wants to arise, you say, no, nope, no. Nope. I'm victorious in Christ. I am able. Because in the midst of all these things happening, somebody sends me a testimony and she says, I'm 34 weeks pregnant. She says, you told me to come to this prayer meeting and your exact words were, this time around, something will shift. She said, I came for that prayer meeting. I, the, there was a doctor, it was a prayer meeting and then the doctor shared part of her testimony and some medical facts. I reached out to the doctor afterwards, did consultation and she gave me the date to come back and start my IVF. 
She said that period never came. And she's 34 weeks. So basically, in three weeks, she'll have a baby after 10 years of waiting. So can money buy that? Money can buy that. Money cannot buy the feeling that it gave me. I say, ah, God, thank you. Like money can't buy that. Because forever, I will be a part of that testimony of that family. In heaven, I can use it to negotiate, to move to a bigger house. I say, <laughs> but I can't use my job to negotiate anything. Do you understand? If I must boast, I must boast in the things of God. So I can't be depressed because when the enemy wants to try to press my mind, I will remember these things. I remember the person whose marriage was saved. I remember the person who had a child. I remember the person who did not lose their job because of me. I will remember someone where I said a word and they said they wanted to commit suicide and they changed their mind. I will remember all of those things. And I'll say, do you know what? Do you know who I am? I'm a general in the Lord's army. What I decree will be established. I say, take your hands off him. Take your hands off her because the Lord sits upon the throne. I will say, what? I said, no, it's not going to happen. Not on my watch. My spirit man will well up because I now know who I am. I'll be like, no, not on my watch. If something happens to somebody afterwards and they tell me, the first thing I say to them is, why are you telling me after the fact? Why didn't you tell me? I said, not on my watch. It's not going to happen. No. I said, but even when it happens, you know what? God will still be God. Even when it happens, God will still be God. But not, so I would then help you on the journey of finding your way back in God. Of finding your way back in God. And so when my friend says, there can't be God because why is my brother dead? And I say immediately, God forgive her for she doesn't know what she's talking about. I would not say with her, yes, it's true. I think this God is dead. Like one of my cousins said that, eh, I think there used to be God, but I think somewhere along the line, a, a rock fell on his head and perhaps he too died. Is what she said. And she was serious. And not a child, she's an adult. Do you understand? But I would say to her, I'll say, Lord, forgive her. For every time she says that, there can't be God if he let my brother die. I will say, Lord, forgive her for we don't know what we are saying. Please forgive us, look upon us with mercy. Lord, you are still king and you're sovereign. And help her through that journey of finding her way back in God. So the enemy will not allow you to understand your identity in Christ. So that in the day your brother or your sister is going through a challenge of faith, you too will be on the ground. Instead of waking up and standing on their behalf. That's what the enemy does. The enemy will tell you, indulge, indulge in the things of the world. After all, everyone is doing it. Sometimes they even tell you, God is merciful and graceful. He's full of grace. Share your God is very merciful. And it's full of grace. You will forgive your sins. Seven, seven times, seven times. How many? So go and indulge in the world. So you, you would look for new heights of debauchery and sexual fulfillment. And with each one, you're looking for more. Because there's never any satisfaction in the things of the world. Never any satisfaction. Forgetting that scripture says that you know that you're made in the image and likeness of God and that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. What the enemy wants to do is it gets you to a place where you compromise and there's filled before you. And because God does not like sin, and then when that withdrawal has happened, then guess what will happen? He will come. Boom, 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 boom. And that is why, guess what? In the depth of your sin, at the height of your sin, you better run and come to church. Run and join a body of believers. Go and kneel. 
don't, that is not the time to stay away and say, because I'm not holy. That is the time that you even draw closer to the body of Christ. Because the enemy's plan is isolation. When he then isolates you, then he will, boom, he will throw everything at you. And then you will have nobody. By the time you come out of it, you are a sorry version of who you are and you, who you were supposed to be. That's what he does. And so when people say, ah, this one, this person, eh, bad. Every time you see them in church raising hands, leave them. Is it your business? You to go and raise your own hands. Do you know their journey with God? Do you know? He sees their heart. He does not judge like we do. Thank God he does not judge like we do. Thank God. Do you know their repentance that they're still on the journey? What if at that particular moment when God calls for them, they were in him crying for mercy and forgiveness? What about the story of the two thieves who sat beside Jesus on the cross? And while one mocked him, one said, remember me in your paradise. And what happened? He was taken up in glory with him. So can we stop it? Stop looking at people through the eyes of the world. Yes, they did that. So every one of us is guilty of it. But what about they're making their way back in God? And the problem is no matter how many times they fall, they get back up. They fall, they get back up. They fall, they get back up. Is it not better than the one who is so holy and righteous and then you fall and you stay there hidden away because you're trying to present a persona, a perception of who you are that is not who you really are. And you think God does not see us. He does not see us. The enemy will make you chase after worldly possessions. You will chase it eh? Ah yeah, you will chase it eh? You will chase it. The more you chase it eh? Do you know now eh? I said to someone one day, if I got one dollar for every proposal and every pitch I've done in my life, I'll be a very wealthy woman. No need to work. Now, you'll be telling me, come and submit this proposal. I'll say, hey, don't worry, I'm not interested. Say, why? I say, I beg all the ones I submitted before. What happened? Right? Because I'm at the place now where I'm like, David, should I go? Will I pursue? Should I pursue? Will I overtake? If I don't hear go, I just stay quiet. My friend said to me, come and Fill this application. Good. You know, it's good. I mean, she had direction to do it. Come and fill this application. They're giving $2 million grant. I said, eh, I was in the middle of a retreat. I said, I'm not doing it. She said, come and do it now. I said, I'm not doing it. Me before. I will pull all nighters and be doing it too. I'll, no, I'm not joking. You don't know me. Ah, that's fast for I will pull all nighters. I'll be doing it. I'll say, eh, we die here. Eh? <laughs> God. What are they looking for? Let, let's do it. Let, now, I say, the Lord did not tell me anything about this. I cannot just suddenly because I heard now come and start doing it. I said, no, I'm not doing it. It's not laziness. But it's just coming to that understanding of assignment and wanting precision in God. So I don't want to just be. And then I'm so tired that when it comes to the things of God, there's no strength left. That's the enemy's plan to keep you busy, keep you busy. Until you cannot even come into God. You can't. You can't do anything. See, John says, do not love this world or the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. A craving for the, everything that we see. Pride in our possessions and, and, and achievements. These are not from the Father. The world is fading away and everything inside of it. But anyone who does what pleases God 
will live forever. And so my one desire now is to please God. My one desire now is to please God. I'm saying, God, this thing, will it please you? Will you say, well done, good and faithful servant? If I don't feel that sense, da -da 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 -da, I'm out. I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. I don't want it, I don't want it, I don't want it. If you are a friendship that is taking me down that path, no, 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 I don't want it. I don't want it, I don't care. I don't care anymore because I am, I don't know if the word to use is afraid. I'm afraid that I will miss heaven, eh? I'm afraid. I'm afraid that I will miss heaven because of foolish striving and hustling and chasing the things of the world. And so I'm learning to discipline my flesh. I'm learning. And it doesn't, it doesn't help matters that me, that is the one that is supposed to be the prayer warrior and the quote-unquote pastor, I will pray for money tonight. My husband, he'll just say something. The thing will happen. <laughs> like film show crocodile before my eyes. Although some can argue that it's my prayer that has made the way. Eh? <laughs> so me and I'll be like, ah, I don't understand. It's me that always to sleep in the night. <laughs> but it's you that will just wake up and just like that, effortless. I said, okay, no, no. So we both have a laugh about it. But what I understood actually was that, you know what? Faith to move mountains. He has faith that I'm, I can only dream of. If he tells me, don't worry about this. Really, that thing, eh? Never worry about it. I say, eh? He'll say, I'm telling you to worry about it. Is it not God? He'll say, God big pass everybody. <laughs> That's all. That's all he says. He'll just say, God big pass everybody. Everything and everybody. Once he says that, forget it. That thing is done. So I'm learning to be, ah, I have to catch some of this faith, eh? <laughs> I need to pray myself into faith. like Before, and we arrive in faith. I've been fearful the last 10 days. Because it's just like, boom, boom, boom. I, I've been fearful, I won't lie. So I've had to pray from a place of fear until my faith arose. Because I'm like, no, not another person. So that's what the enemy does. He'll make you forget all the victories. He'll make you forget everything. That's what he did to the Israelites. He took them out of the... Egypt. Before taking them out of Egypt, he hadn't Pharaoh's heart. God knew why he was doing that. Because it says clearly that he hadn't Pharaoh's heart. Why did he do that? He wanted the, Egypt, the Israelites to have front row seats on what he was going to do. Because when they were going to go into the place of battling with their enemies, he wanted them to remember what he did to the Egyptians. The people that held you in captivity for 400 years. Look at how I disgraced them. So is it this one's? I will handle these ones. So he allowed them see with their eyes. Plague after plague after plague after plague. Because he was fortifying their mind for what they're going to face ahead. Then, that was not enough. He then wiped out all the firstborns. First of all, wiped it out. That was not enough. He waited. As they had gone, Egypt had already allowed them to go. The next thing he says, no, 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 no. Go and bring all of them back. Eh? How can we allow these people go after? For, go and bring all of them back. He just waited. The entire Egyptian army, in one transaction, phew, they are watching with their own two eyes. You would think that these people would then understand when God said that I have given this land to you, that he meant it. He now told them, go and do a reconnaissance of the place. They came back and said, we are like grasshoppers before their eyes. 
We are like grasshoppers before their eyes. How angry was God? I think he had every right to be angry. Even me, I'm angry on his behalf. After everything that he had done, after everything he had shown them, after everything, and so he said, you know what? Sure you want to stay in the wilderness? Okay, every single one of you that dared to believe this report, except Caleb and Joshua, none of you will see the promised land. Since you people don't believe you are going to go there, take, I will give you what you want. You want to die here? Die here. In his anger. How many of us are sitting on the edge of something God has shown us in a dream, in a vision, by prophetic words, by prayers, by proclamations, even by our anointing and our calling, by our experience even, by our schooling, and yet we are afraid to take it because we are saying, we are like grasshoppers. We can't do it. It's the enemy's plan to just confuse your identity, never knowing who you are, never attaining anything both in God and both in the world. And so, the problem identity starts with us. It doesn't start with what the person says. People see you as who you say you are. If I walk in here and tell you that I'm the most beautiful girl in Nigeria, after a while, if I say long enough, I'll start looking very fine in your eye. Do you know? Yes. If I say it and I carry the confidence and I dress the part and I... After a while, you, all, you, all you might say is, eh, is it because you're fine? Your own is too much, safe. Calm down. But in your mind, I've wired your mind. That's what chants do. The more you chant, you know the story in Ephesus when they, they were trying to um, topple um, the Diana and they were shouting, Great Diana, God of us. They did that for how many hours? They were charging the atmosphere. They were getting everybody to the point where you yourself, you know, even let's say we're speaking in tongues to counter the asking why you don't know when you'll be joining them to say, Great Diana. That's what it does. It's psychological reprogramming. If I tell somebody a thing long enough, they will start to believe it. If I tell somebody a thing long enough, every single day they'll start to believe it. I remember a friend of mine that said to me that it was in her 30s when she realized that if there were 10 girls, she was not even maybe number nine in terms of fineness. Because in her house, they raised them to think they were, and she's very short, they raised them to think they were all that and a bag of chips. And so she carried it in her carriage, in the way she spoke, in the way she behaved. She said it was in her 30s, oh. Hey, before she started seeing some kind mommy water looking girls, <laughs> and I even had to tell herself, not the. <laughs> it remained. Do you understand where I'm coming from? So imagine how bold <coughs> and how confident she is. Someone cannot tell her that she's ugly. How? Someone cannot make her feel bad about herself. Someone cannot make her depressed. Because she understood who she was, she knew who she was. And so, when we have an identity, usually we would have an identity marker, like an ID card. And you know that when you lose your ID card, you're usually frantic because your ID allows you access into a place. If you go to, let's say this door had a um, security feature and every one of us here had an ID card. If we get to the door and we swipe it and it doesn't open, we're not going to be saying, oh, it is not opening for me. No. Are we going to do that? No. We are going to be calling Pimo or Temi and saying, ah, please open the door now. I don't understand. Uh -uh. Why can't I get in? Because it's our right to be in here. 
That's what an understanding of your identity does. So what is our identity? It's the Christ that lives inside of us. It's our door opener. It's the name that we call. And I sound at the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Every single thing will bow to the name of Jesus. But we don't carry our ID card. We keep our ID card for our closet. We don't carry our ID card to a place, to a situation, to a circumstance. Because we want to conform to the world. And yet we say that we are of God. And so when we see little power, we wonder why. So how do we find our way back in God? How do we find our way back in God? Adoption is we must remember that each and every one of us was adopted into God's family. So the day that you decided that I, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. We sing it. Do we mean it? That day you decided to follow Jesus is the day you were adopted into God's family. And by virtue of your adoption into God's family, it means that you are now a child of God. It means you can do greater things than Jesus did. It means that you too are seated at the right hand of the Father. It means that you can speak a thing and it comes to pass. It means you can say peace be still and peace will be still. You can tell someone that is sick, you will be well in the mighty name of Jesus and they will be well because you are speaking with the authority and the power of Christ that dwells inside of you because you have been adopted into his family. Redemption. You have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. He went to the cross of Calvary and he paid the price. So the devil should no longer be telling you that. Taking you back to the sins that you've left. All he does is to remind you. You did this in 1927. God has forgiven you and moved on. But you are unable to forgive yourself because the enemy will continue to remind you of those things. Forgetting that you are a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold. For now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you are not condemned. So if the Lord does not condemn you, who are we to condemn you? And then the sealing by the blood of the Lamb. See that that blood. The Lord is calling all of us to a place where we understand who we are. If, 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 if someone cannot drag something that belongs to my father with me. My earthly father. Why? And my earthly father is a bit of a tough guy. He's not... No, they can't because I'll say I don't understand it's my father's own it is my father's own how who are you where so why did, when it comes why is it then that when it comes to the supreme God the one who made heavens and earth made each and every one of us and all that is inside of it we are tentative about the power that we carry what do we have to lose if we decide you know what I am sold out to God because of him everything I speak will be established. I will not get a no as long as it's in accordance to God's will. So you must make sure, your assignment is to make sure that anything that you're decreeing and declaring is in accordance to God's will. And you only do that from a place of the word, worship, prayer, consecration, a life in Christ, living righteously. Then when God tells you a thing, because you are sure that it comes from God, you will stand upon that word. And guess what? It will come, it will be established because God must honor his word above his name. Thanks for listening to this message from the Hills Church. Our mission is to love people, connect with family, and touch the world. Learn more on our website at www.ecclesiahills.org or email us at hello at ecclesiahills.org.